Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Greg Sankey is the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference. He's the longest tenured Power Five commissioner and one of the most powerful voices in college athletics. I sat down with Greg Sankey today for a candid and lengthy one-on-one discussion. We talked about the landscape of college athletics, the future of the college football playoff, the NCAA tournament, Nick Saban's retirement in Alabama, Chip Kelly's idea that football should split away from other sports, the downfall of the Pac-12, and how college football is different from the NFL. It's still different, isn't it? That full conversation is going to air here in this hour. So if you know somebody who would love to hear this conversation, Greg Sankey speaking one-on-one, candid, wide-ranging interview. We even talked about the book that he's reading, what's on his nightstand, what's on his desk, what podcast he listened to. Some fun nuggets buried in this interview. Uh, Make sure that you alert, text a friend right now, tell him to get here to this radio station. Or send him the link to this podcast if you're listening via the podcast. Uh, that interview in its entirety, here we go. I have to know what it's been like for a conference commissioner in the last year or 18 months as the sands of college athletics are shifting beneath everybody's feet. What has that experience been like for you, Greg Sankey? I, I always go back to the COVID summer and you know everything obviously changed and I don't think it's ever reset. Um, the pace and the intensity and so you go through uh, that experience we come to the summer of 21 we were at the at the heart of expansion and conference membership movement you come back to the summer of 22 uh it was the usc and ucla move you come back to the summer of 23 uh the good news was it didn't happen on july 4th weekend which has been the tradition the few days you get off in a commissioner's chair and you see a, a, a wholesale change in the landscape with what happened around the Pac-12. So that's in addition to litigation, state legislation. We now see state attorney general activity, NCA changes. It, it um, you know, I spend less time focused on games and more more times focused on all of the other work that that's not related to the games themselves. The, the, you mentioned the Pac-12, the downfall of that conference. Um, some have said it's it was inevitable that there was going to be consolidation. Um, I was watching it, and I, I look back and I see a number of things that could have taken it in a different direction. As it was happening, what were you thinking? Well, in some ways, you know, looking back, it, it's easier to Monday morning quarterback, and we're all making judgments in, in real time. Um, you know, I have the benefit of you know, knowing people and, and hearing things and having a responsibility to track. So I knew there were some turbulent waters, but I expressed at the time last summer just not, I don't know if I were used the word surprise, but, you know, it's disappointing to see. I never thought the type of consolidation was inevitable, and I think everybody involved has had opportunities to uh, avoid what's happened but again that's monday morning quarterbacking you respect that people made judgments in real time and now we're going to have to turn the page and life goes forward 
Greg Sankey is with us, SEC commissioner. Yeah, you you're a runner. Are you still running? You listen. What do you listen to when you run? What do you think about when you're running these days? Um, yes, I do still run. Uh, I will confess, as we speak, last night I attended a concert with Toto and Journey. At least that their logos and what's left of those bands. Yeah. Now that I'm in the gray hair group at rock concerts, I I I, I hit snooze on the alarm. When I do run, um, you know, you and Wilner are on the podcast list on a regular basis. Uh, in fact, there was a time last spring I had a staff member with me. You guys interviewed me, George, um, a number of other commissioners. I went back and replayed all of those. Uh, I was driving back from Athens, Georgia. And it, it's interesting to go back and look, and you probably do it, uh, to kind of analyze what's been said uh, what's then happened through through a different lens. So uh, I will do that from time to time on runs. I might grab a podcast from two years ago of someone that, that I intersect just to hear what they were thinking then and think about what it means now. What jumps out to you when you go back and, and you listen to those and, and sort of even as you hear yourself? I self-scout in, in retrospect. I started doing that intentionally after visiting one time with a former speechwriter for President Clinton, who was very complimentary of me in some ways, and then uh, redirected how I communicate. And I, I had to think about it. So, John, I'll go back and, and listen to what I've said uh, and evaluate it. I'll, I'll use the COVID summer. I went through every ESPN or SEC network interview I gave, and, and I did that in like December after football season ended because I wanted to judge what I'd said and I'd been on point had I provided answers and perspective had I given hope, which I think was one of my responsibilities. Um, so I, I, that one uh, I'm in depth. The others are more superficial that, you know, Hey, that comment held up well, or maybe that comment didn't hold up well, or, you know, looking back, there was a lot more to the story than we realized it in a particular moment. You know, it's interesting. I do the same thing. I'll go back and I'll listen to shows and I'll go, oh, that was bad or, oh, no, no, that worked and do that self-scouting. I think that's important. And, you know, we're watching now uh, Nick Saban, a coach in your conference, um, you know, who is retired. We're seeing this uh, across college football and college basketball where some of the longtime coaches have decided that this is the time to retire. What do you make of that wave of retirement and, and the landscape? A few things. One is, I spoke when Jeremy Foley, who was a longtime athletic director of Florida, was stepping down. And he asked me to come speak to the entire department, and I said, the reality was Jeremy Foley was always going to retire. But we put that thought aside because we don't like to deal with change. Now, the reality in our society is change seems to be happening every day. So we like to think that um, a Nick Saban's going to coach forever. Obviously, that was never the case. He made a decision. Um, do I think the environment contributes to that? I don't know that it's any one thing for anybody. Uh, there's a lot that factors into the decision. You never want to make a, a life decision based on you know, one event. Uh, Nick clearly has had an incredible career, um, has a family around him, has a life to live, and, and uh, I, I look forward to continuing to interact with him. You know, others have, have likely been direct about the environment in college sports. I've spoken uh, before these recent changes from coaches, uh, well before, to say, 
okay, states, you've you've uh, unleashed, if you will, name, image, and likeness activity. Uh, we now have courts weighing in on transfer policies. We should also be concerned we're going to lose really effective leaders, good people from the coaching profession. And I think that is a, a continuing concern that people look and say, I just don't know if I want to work in this environment. I'm going to go find another opportunity. And, and I don't think that's great for college sports. The college football playoff expansion coming, TV deal, I want to get get to all that. Um, more recently, Washington State's position, Kirk Schultz proposing that the Pac-12 be treated as a power conference. How is that going over among other commissioners? I can only speak for myself. And my observation is we spent four years trying to deal with a format expansion, one that the Southeastern Conference did not request, did not advocate to pursue, but worked as a good partner, operator to find a new way. Over those four years, everything in college sports has been touched by change, whether it's the COVID year, conference membership that we discussed, uh, name, image, and likeness activity, uh, litigation, NCA changes, Charlie Baker's project division one, and I, I could go on and on. Uh, and the reality is we have to have a post-season system, post-season system that adapts. Um, I am not at all uh, a fan of continuing requests from different corners for special accommodation. We have not asked for special accommodation to this point. Um, and we'll see. It's, it's at the board level. It's not to the commissioners. We've stated previously of you as a group. It wasn't unanimous. Uh, but at some point, uh, we're going to have to adapt to the next two years uh, or for the next two years. And then we're going to have to rethink our approach to how governance is conducted and how decisions are made in this playoff, if it is to work. The news where you and the Big Ten conferences sort of formed a working group uh, was met with a lot of raised eyebrows. And what do people need to know about that relationship and maybe the the mission or the aim of that, that partnership? Sure, we have some immediate realities. Um, how do we deal with um, ongoing litigation, uh, or there might be opportunities for mediation. We've got a responsibility there. Uh, I think we can do that appropriately. Um, I've also learned and witnessed my comments on the CFP that big problems are not solved in big rooms filled with people. Uh, you have to narrow your focus a bit. And uh, there may be raised eyebrows. Uh, we certainly called in advance to communicate with colleagues what was going to be announced rather than do it in the shadows and, and have somebody report on it, you might as well put things out there. Um, it, it is not expansive. It is focused on dealing with some of the immediate issues. It helps to motivate ourselves, in my opinion, and if it helps to motivate other people to seek solutions and collaborate more effectively, so be it. I do think both leagues feel the responsibility of leadership at this key time. And that really informed the, the announcement of the advisory group. You'll note we didn't call it an alliance. We didn't have any Zoom calls. We didn't create logos. We simply want the opportunity for a group of our leaders and a group of their leaders to talk about uh, some of the elements of a path forward. Are the, you know, are the, I guess, 
why the Big Ten and the SEC? Why not let others in? Is it is that to your big room philosophy that you know as you start to expand that conversation, you know you get too many voices in the room at some point? Uh, it is. It's also an acknowledgement we don't have unilateral authority. Uh, the effort to conduct outreach, which was different than some of the other experiences I've had reading things on Twitter, um, was to at least communicate in advance. Uh, that doesn't mean the eyebrows still weren't raised. Uh, we also know we have a responsibility to draw people in. So if we can find solutions that draw people in, that's enormously healthy. This is actually much like the creation of the autonomy concept that was assigned to these two conferences uh, within the NCA structure back in 2012 to give a little bit more authority uh, for some decision-making. That was still subject to the expansive NCA bureaucracy. Uh, it worked well for a period of time. I, I think the two conferences showed then we can be responsible with our colleagues, and I'm confident we can be responsible now. Chip Kelly and some others have sort of raised the idea of, you know, it just makes more sense for football to split away. It, how is that greeted, you know, as, as you hear that? Or how much more complex is the conversation than maybe, you know, uh, us just talking, uh, yeah, football should split away. I mean, there's other tentacles to this. I, I think it's much more complex than just the, the interview line. And I respect that people have that opinion. I, I look at it from our league standpoint in the Southeastern Conference, um, usually that type of comment is followed by, well, then comp other sports can go schedule regionally. That's where I kind of raise my hand and wave it to say, I don't know if you've looked at how we've made decisions, but we have maintained uh, a regionality. We've built upon that regionality in a special way. For our league, I'm going to look over the last year where we've had the number one NFL draft pick, the number one men's basketball collegiate athlete chosen in the NFL draft, uh, the number one draft pick for the WNBA, the numbers one and two draft picks in Major League Baseball. We had the U.S. men's amateur champion, the U.S. women's amateur champion. We had Nick Dunlap, an amateur, win a PGA event for the first time since Phil Mickelson. Uh, we're going to feed Olympian medalists into Paris this year out of this league. I think it is difficult to look a football player in the eye and say, we can do A, B, and C for you. But all of you really high-level achievers who are going to have great economic opportunity, we can't do that for you because we're in a different system. And so I look at this as a holistic endeavor. Our football programs exist as part of our universities. They exist as part of our athletic programs. And, you know, maybe I'm a dinosaur, but I actually think what I'm offering here is the right perspective, that we should remain connected as programs and as athletic programs to our university, not simply break out of sport. Others will disagree. Seen reports of uh, individual leaders like a search firm leader with private equity out there running around championing some breakaway for football. Um, I think that comes at a cost to the collegiate environment. The, you know, it seems as though Charlie Baker, he floats his proposal. It gets some enthusiasm, but a lot of, followed by a lot of questions. He says it's just a discussion. How was that received by the Southeastern Conference presidents, athletic directors, your office, when you hear that proposal floated out? Well, it creates uh, any number of questions, and I will take um, directly the observation that it's meant to be a starting point to create conversation. I've appreciated the opportunity for some follow-up conversation with Charlie. I think there's a lot more work to do 
uh, I don't read that document as at, uh, at or near a finish line. Um, so I go back to the observation that it was meant to start conversation, um, and we're going to need to see how that plays out. And is I think we announced in, within our advisory group press release with the Big Ten, one of the topics that we, have, we will look to consider uh, together is how do you provide input and guidance as, as Charlie thinks through what that project division one idea uh, could become um, moving forward. I look at you and I say, here's a guy who came up on college campuses, worked a number of jobs, understands what it's like to work on a campus, and now we've seen a lot of non-traditional hires in in other conferences for the commissioner positions. Um, how how does that look from your vantage point? And is, is there a risk that we're losing the connection to the campuses as as the conferences sort of seed control to TV networks? And I keep think I keep coming back to you guys. I think you being someone who has that experience on campuses has been hugely valuable to your members. I, I certainly hope so. And I've been in a conference office between the SEC and before that the Southland Conference for a long time, but that's still connected to campuses. I don't know that the resume um, drives the change. Um, in fact, I challenge my own thinking on, on John a daily basis to think from a different perspective and how might this athletics endeavor look different if my resume were different and i'm i challenge myself with that to be quite candid but i do come back from this long basis of having been a part of the higher education environment i do think that's valuable whether people agree or disagree it informs my question about the connection of the athletic department to the university we don't just have sport programs uh, we have athletic programs uh, we provide education. I think that, that we are challenged now that the distractions of the transfer environment or the NIL environment uh, negatively impact the educational opportunities offered to young people that whether the cynics want to scoff or not do provide uh, a platform for the rest of their life. That's part one of my interview with Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner. In part two, After the commercial break, we'll talk about how college football is different than the NFL. Is it still different? Is it still that different? Plus, uh, the ESPN television deal with the college football playoff. Will college football playoff games be behind a paywall on a streaming provider? Or will they be on linear television? Also, there's been fear about the potential expansion of the NCAA tournament. Will it kill the Golden Goose? Greg Sankey offers his thoughts on why he supports an expanded field. Listen to part two after the commercial break. I love interviewing the movers and shakers in college athletics, and Greg Sankey certainly is one. One of the most powerful people in sports. And, you know, if we were going to talk about a czar for college football, Greg Sankey would be among the candidates that I'd throw out there. Part one of our interview... We talked about the downfall of the Pac-12 and a variety of other things. In part two, I dove a little deeper on the college football playoff television deal, among other things. Here is the SEC commissioner, my one-on-one conversation. I have friends who want to know if the college football playoff games are going to end up behind a paywall like the NFL playoff games did. Is that part of the discussion? Will Will playoff games end up 
streamed on a streaming provider and behind a paywall. That's that's part of the work still to be done. Okay. And that embedded in that is certainly with all of the new players in the environment um, that 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 new media opportunity um, has been part of the consideration. I I keep thinking about when I grew up. I I, I was naive. I thought. Pete Rosell was on my side, and I, I grew up and I found out that the commissioner of the NFL really worked for the owners. I thought, oh, he was he was we're looking out for the best interest of the game. How do we protect the game? How do we protect the sanctity of college football and and for people who want it to be different than the NFL? You know, how do we do that while knowing that Fox, ESPN, media companies, you know. As they take over, um, it starts to move away from what we've always known. In my experience, and that includes going to games on Saturdays and Sundays, uh, there is a clear distinction still between college football and, and the NFL game. Um, the intensity in our stadiums on a Saturday, early afternoon, late afternoon, or evening is unmatched. And NFL games are exciting, but they are clearly different. I, I think there is a reality that populated our football coaches meeting yesterday, where our coaches talked about the distinctions between the NFL game and the college game. And I'm one that thinks that that needs to remain. I, I'm not familiar with for example, NFL players having to go to class on Monday. So there is that, that clear distinction. But you know, the, the size of our stadiums, uh, the locations of many of our stadiums in these college towns versus uh, the nation's top 50 media markets, and then the ability to draw people in through, for us, when we pivot this fall to uh, the ABC opportunities is more over the air game so that people can experience that feel even from afar. I think all of that is is part of the combination and we're criticized for being professional sports and again the cynics will make that observation but when i encounter young people our football leadership council two weeks ago who asked me are we just going to become an nfl developmental league and i said well tell me as a starter on one of our our leading football programs what you mean and he talked about the distinctions and not wanting to see that happen, that college football should be distinct. It should develop young people and help them reach the goal if they want to play in the NFL, but uh, it, it should remain distinct from professional football. Where do you go on vacation? What's your, what is your summer vacation? You get, you're going to get away. Give us a get, Craig Sankey's getaway spot. There are a lot of places I've enjoyed visiting, uh, but I have a little two-bedroom place um, on Skinny Atlas Lake, which is in central New York. It's the Finger Lakes region. Uh, it's where I, I grew up, and I go back there, and I stop at a place called Doug's Fish Fry uh, for lunch, and uh, I drive down, and this time of year, because I just checked my cameras, there's about six inches of snow that's emerged, but come late June through, you know, into October, it's a pretty special place. Did you go to Doug's Fish Fry as a kid? Oh, well, it, it opened my senior year in high school. So, no is the answer. We went to 
Herb's, which was the variety store right next to it, to go buy bubble gum and candy and those sorts of things. Isn't it interesting how those uh, in th- those memories never leave? I mean, they're embedded in you. They're part they're part of in not surprised that you go back there even these years later and it's you you probably have just fond memories yeah and my blood pressure drops um it it, i I never really envisioned purchasing a place like that it's um uh it's on the south end of the lake which is a bit quieter we have a nature preserve right across on the opposite shoreline so there's no homes over there it's spectacular in the fall but when I when I leave the Syracuse airport to drive to our place, my pulse rate slows. Even if I'm dealing with work issues, my blood pressure is reduced, and I, I just feel better. And that may be in the winter. We were there. We went to an LSU-Syracuse game, and it was snowing horribly, but got to spend it there before traveling to our football championship game. And I'm, I'm looking forward to return in the spring uh, because it's such a, a place for me that is, is calming and comfortable. Yeah, that work-life balance is important, and I think a lot of people listening will relate with that. And how do you draw that boundary? Like, because I know the minute I go on vacation, what's going to happen? Something's going to implode. Somebody's going to leave. There's going to be a coaching <laughs> search. I have to think you you feel the same way when you try to get away. Well, when I was recounting the summer of 2021, 20, 22, it was always like the summer of 22. I went to my lake place from a meeting and. I was there on a Wednesday, so I thought Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Monday was July 4th. I got five days to read books, sit by the lake, and by noon Thursday is when the USC-UCLA news was breaking. So it just completely disrupted the whole month. Um, You you have to be intentional, um, and it can't just be once a year. You know, these these jobs are full-time, seven days a week, but you have to create separations. I do that through my reading. Uh, on a daily basis through exercise and then try to go grab some space here and there where I can um, and build in a, a, a few breaks. Uh, but you know, once once we get to, to mid-August through Memorial Day and even the week after, um, it's, it's a nonstop roll. March Madness, uh, you know, before I cut you loose, I want to ask you about this. Tournament is wonderful. People love it. We celebrate it. Um, there's been talk about expansion. You and I have talked about this before, getting you know ex- possibly expanding the field. Where are you right now on possible expansion of the field in the NCAA tournament? I, I communicated interest in that um, almost a year and a half ago because I had been at meetings where over and over people were, were just fearful of things being taken away. Uh, we have some old systems in place that, do contribute to the tournament, but we're leaving out highly qualified teams from a competitive basis. And I go back a few years, um, the University of Mississippi baseball team was identified as the last one in, and they won the College World Series. We've seen um, teams go to Dayton as 11 seeds and advance into the Final Four. And the way we, we allocate tournament berths some less highly competitive teams are given bids and we exclude teams generally in that 40 to 55 range that are very, very competitive teams. And so my hope is that we can have a responsible look at, at tournament expansion. Um, I've never put a number to that. And it's, it's really driven on rather than thinking about taking things away while we try to in, involve the most competitive teams, we can think about creating opportunity. 
what I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose the mid-major in those upsets, and, and I get what you're saying. How do we hold on to that and not water the field down too much? Or what do you say to that? I, I would offer that, you know, watering down the field is an interesting term because I don't think that's a one-way observation. Um, and, and highly competitive teams, again, those 11 seeds that have advanced mm-hmm. far in the NCAA tournament, uh, having more of that type of team involved does not water down the tournament. Um, I think the committee has been engaged in this review. Uh, I'm supportive of that review. I don't predict outcomes. I think part of what I have a responsibility to do, given the role, is identify things to be addressed, and uh, we'll see uh, what what they come out with. I I do, uh, again, go back to the reason I made the observation, uh, I think back in the summer of 22, uh, and a Pat Forty article was I had heard so many people concerned about things being taken away. So how about we pivot our thinking and suggest it doesn't always have to be the way that it is. What might be a way to draw on highly competitive teams and still keep uh, March uh, a focal point for college basketball? Greg Sankey, last question. You talked about reading. What's on your nightstand or what are you carrying with you on an airplane to read? I have it right on my desk. So I've read some fascinating books of late. One was about the breaking of the four-minute mile. There were three guys involved, an mm-hmm. Australian, Roger Bannister, we know about, and a member of the Kansas track team. Just looking, it was an introduction over the, the word amateurism on how that developed over time. Right now I'm reading a book called The Crux, C-R-U-X, How Leaders Become Strategists by Richard P. Rumelt, R-U-M-E-L-T. Um, I don't know that it's going to be one that draws people in from a page-turner standpoint. Uh, I have taken time after Nick Saban retired. I've read uh, a book that he authored back at the, 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 his, uh, during his LSU days, and uh, I read another book that was written by a, an author just kind of looking at his, his kind of a biography from the outside. So I've, I've permitted myself those now that he's retired. You want to write a book someday? Uh, I've thought about it. It's a matter of finding the time. Uh, <laughs> right. And I don't want to write a book that no one would read. I'd, I'd rather um, just send a couple emails to friends if those are the only marketplace. <laughs> but if I can put on paper things that I think can contribute to somebody's career decision-making, um, their personal development, perhaps their growth uh, from a faith perspective, maybe make some observations about what happens in college athletics. Uh, maybe there'll be some interest in that. Greg Sankey, thank you for your time. Appreciate your candor, and uh, good luck to you. Make sure you, uh, you you go for a run. And when you listen back to this podcast, I'll be curious to see what it is that you make of it. So I, I appreciate you joining us. Okay, I'll call you back with my self-evaluation. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I do. I hate listening to myself. I will. Can, can, I will. Um, I will share that perspective. But I actually make myself do so, um, and I'll do so a few times just to think about how I might have communicated something more effectively. I love that. That's great advice. Thank you. You as well. Thanks, John. All right. Thanks. Well, there he goes, Greg Sankey's the SEC commissioner. Really, really interesting interview. I want your feedback on it. Tweet at me, at John Canzano BFT, or call now at 503-417-7575. What did you hear there? What stood out to you? What would be the first thing you tell other people uh, as they go and, uh, and say, hey, uh, did you listen to Greg Sankey uh, on Canzano's show? 
Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.